When we think about menopause, for the majority of people, we think hot flushes and night sweats. We don't really think about all the other potential symptoms. There were times during my very low period, which got very dark, that I did wonder, how on earth do you get through this? I had a relatively early menopause in the fact that I had to have a total hysterectomy, which was my womb and both my ovaries. When you go into what's called surgical menopause, which is where you have both of your ovaries removed, that means that you immediately lose the majority of oestrogen in your body. And oestrogen is one of the main hormones that depletes during a natural menopause. So essentially, I lost the majority of mine overnight. I knew the operation was a hysterectomy, but unfortunately I wasn't counselled about what the potential effects of that could be. When we think about menopause, for the majority of people, we think hot flushes and night sweats. We don't really think about all the other potential symptoms. So nobody told me that there was the potential of psychological effects like feeling really low and feeling really anxious and in my case feeling so low that I became pretty much agoraphobic. I wouldn't go out of the house. I had to stop work and that was all because I didn't get the right information before I had my surgery and nobody sat me down afterwards and said this is potentially what could happen and this is the kind of management that you can use to help you through these symptoms. So consequently, I was sort of pretty much left to get on with it on my own. Not much of an advert for the NHS, is it? No, it's not. And I would love to tell you that things were different today. But I now counsel other women. So I know that in lots of cases, it's still the case that women have the same surgery that I had. They don't have the information prior to their surgery and they don't have the information afterwards. And so most of us, what we're generally told is, go and see your doctor in six or eight weeks. The problem with that is a lot of GPs are not educated about menopause and how they can help and they don't even necessarily recognise the symptoms. I'm very fortunate in that I had my husband and my mother to support me, but I have to say there were times during my very low period, which got very dark, that I did wonder, how on earth do you get through this if you don't have this kind of support? That's originally when I had this idea about setting up some kind of support service and starting to campaign for better menopause education for doctors. We're now campaigning for better menopause awareness in the workplace and actually for menopause to be included in education. So that's why I thought, okay, I need to get some training. I mean, I'm a psychotherapist by profession anyway, but I went and did professional nurse training in menopause too, so that now I can advise people on their choices before they go and see their doctor. Often you don't know what the right questions are. You've no idea. No, because if you don't understand what's going on with your body... So, for instance, we talk about hot flushes... 
But the psychological symptoms, you know, sort of the low mood, what we might describe as depression, anxiety, irritability, panic, etc., etc. You know, some people could think, well, I'm just stressed. If your periods haven't changed, which is one of the other key indicators of perimenopause. So perimenopause is that time before you've had 12 months without a period. But if we bear in mind that the average length of menopause, so from your first symptom to your last symptom, is between four and eight years. You could be at work one day and think, oh my goodness, I cannot concentrate on what it is I've got to do. You could also perhaps be more irritable with your family. You might also be feeling a lack of confidence. Your joints might have started to ache. You might be getting more migraines. You might be suffering from some of the very personal symptoms, you know, those increased urinary tract infections, or you might be struggling with pain on intercourse, vaginal dryness, soreness, irritation. Very often that's missed entirely when we talk about menopause, but they're all perimenopausal symptoms. So as women, if we're not taught what menopause is, what the symptoms are, and how we can manage them. For most women, it is their GP is first port of call. But how do we know the right questions to ask? And of course, if the GP is not informed, where does the woman go from there? With the women that I counsel, typically they're in their mid-40s. Very often the situation is they'll come along and they'll say to me, I don't know what's wrong with me. I've been to the doctors, I've described how low I am, I've been given antidepressants. And that happens so regularly. I run a private Facebook group called the Menopause Support Network and I did a survey on there and 72% of the women who answered the survey said that the first thing they'd been offered was antidepressants when actually they were perimenopausal. And it's so important to remember that whilst we have this perimenopausal time, 25% of women will experience no symptoms apart from at some point their periods will change. Menopause has not been prioritised. I mean, women's health has generally not been prioritised, but menopause has not been prioritised to the extent that in November 2015, we had the first ever NICE guidelines on menopause for clinicians. There had never been any national guidance on menopause before then. I've contacted NICE and said it's great that we've got the guidelines but I'm hearing from women that most of their doctors haven't read them. And the problem is is that NICE produce guidelines on lots of things Mm. and as we all know doctors are pushed for time, Mm. appointments are very short, so consequently have they got time to read all the guidelines? No they haven't. So now what I do is I say to women, you know, it's not the most onerous task to read through the NICE guidelines. I'd suggest having a read through them before you go to your doctor so that you know what they should know. What happened to you with with your surgery is not unusual for women, sadly. Do you think that the symptoms that you experienced after that were typical of that particular operation? It's very difficult to say typical of the operation because some women who have a hysterectomy with both their ovaries removed, their symptoms will be 
much more physical than mine were. It is very, very individual. You really can't say about there being a typical. But what I do know is that the more I speak publicly about what happened to me, the more I hear from other women, not necessarily who've had surgery, who could be in a natural menopause, how the psychological symptoms have affected them. And they were so unprepared for that. So for instance, yesterday, I was with some colleagues, we were doing some training for Avon and Somerset Police and talking to a group of women there and talking about anxiety. And it was just shocking how many of them said they had no idea that anxiety was a menopause symptom. Mm -hmm. So I think the thing is, what we really need to do is we need to empower not just women, it has to be men as well. If we make this something that everybody understands, just a really basic understanding, and that's why we want it introduced into the PSHE curriculum in schools, because we're not talking about having a whole subject for menopause, just a one-hour lesson on what menopause is, what the most common symptoms are, just allowing people to develop some empathy and compassion. I suppose the thing is that this happens to a woman at the time that their family have just got to the point probably where they're thinking of flying the nest, so that can be difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's also the time at which, if you have a career, mm -hmm. you're just rising to the top. Absolutely. So there's quite a lot of stress involved yes. in that. The symptoms are kind of hidden because of what else is going on in your life. And you miss what is going on or you attribute it to something else yeah. rather than to what is actually happening absolutely and unless something is actually happening to you medically that takes you to the doctor yeah then you might not be thinking about it at all. But let's face it, 50% of the population is female. Yeah. It's going to happen to 50% of us. Absolutely. I mean, everybody tells us that it's oestrogen that we're losing. Yes. And therefore, HRT is the fantastic answer because it puts it back. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about HRT? For me personally, I'm on HRT. So I don't have a womb. So I only need oestrogen. So the oestrogen that I have is what is referred to as a body-identical plant-derived oestrogen. The oestrogen that I have is derived from a member of the yam family. It's available on the NHS to every woman who would like to have it. There are lots and lots of scare stories about HRT that we've seen over the years. So I'm a member of the British Menopause Society, which is essentially a society for clinicians and professionals involved in menopause. So if you're a woman who, who's had her womb removed, you only need supplemental oestrogen for your HRT. If you're a woman who still has your womb, you also need to have progesterone alongside your oestrogen because what the progesterone does is it helps to protect your endometrial lining. So that's the lining of your womb. So giving adjunctive progesterone means that it's kept in balance. So you get the benefits of having the oestrogen. So that essentially the point of HRT 
is to make you asymptomatic. It's to relieve your symptoms. But we also know with research that's been done is that actually HRT helps to protect our bone health, our heart health, and more recently we're starting to see some studies around our brain health, how it helps to protect our brain from diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia. Now they are very new, very small studies coming out of America. We certainly can't say categorically at the moment that every woman should have HRT to protect her bone health because of course it comes down to being a personal choice at the end of the day but that personal choice should be based on factual evidence-based information rather than newspaper headlines. And unfortunately, what's happened with HRT over the years is that in 2002, there was a study called the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative Study, big American study, one of the most expensive medical studies ever run. And sadly, it was flawed from the very outset because they took a self-selecting group of women. It was a big group. So we had women who had pre-existing health conditions women who smoked, women who drank alcohol, women who had family health conditions, women who were obese. And essentially what happened was they started to give these women who were an average age of 63. So that would be a question mark now. If a woman has not had periods for over 10 years and she's over 60, that really should be a referral to a menopause specialist for care. So what they did was this group of women hadn't had periods for over 10 years and then they gave them all supplemental hormones. Well, that has to be a question mark to start with because if your body hasn't had something for such a long time, what's going to happen? Now, in majority of those women, they were actually okay, but what happened was they saw a very small increase in breast cancer. And because of that very small increase in breast cancer, those headlines came out into our tabloids, well, actually all our newspapers. But what the newspapers did, as newspapers do, is they grabbed that piece of information and printed headlines like HRT gives you breast cancer. Yes, I remember those. Yeah, which is not true, but... Unfortunately, doctors either withdrew HRT from women or women saw those headlines and very understandably flushed the HRT down the loo, which you can totally understand. Mm. Now, I think it was two years ago at the British Menopause Society conference, one of the key protagonists of that study came and explained to us all the flaws in it and how poor the study actually was. The true figures are very different, and cancer charities will tell you the risk of taking HRT compared with being obese, Mm. drinking alcohol, smoking, the risk of taking HRT is much lower than it is if you do any of those things. So there are lots of lifestyle things that you can do But essentially, the key message is that the right HRT in the right woman has huge overall benefits and incredibly low risks. So the national average, sadly, is that one in eight of us will have a breast cancer at some time in our lives. And the problem is, is that we've had so many women 
who have not had access to HRT and now we're seeing lots of women struggling with osteoporosis, with heart disease, etc. because of the huge positive benefit of having oestrogen to protect us against those things. Your advice to women beginning to suspect that they may be entering this phase of their life yes. is read the NICE guidelines. Yes. Yes. Research. I would say if you read the NICE guidelines and then look at something like the British Menopause Society website where there is a section just for women called Women's Health Concern, huge amounts of information. You can certainly come and join the Menopause Support Network on Facebook. We are a very welcoming group of over 5,000 women now where you can get help and support and advice. And we've got a hugely knowledgeable community there too of women who've been through these things themselves. But I would say certainly read the NICE guidelines, know what it is that your doctor should be offering you. I would say don't go Googling everything because you'll get all sorts of information. Make sure that you've got factual evidence-based info. If you're going to go to the doctors, tips for going to the doctors would be make some notes to take with you so that you don't forget anything when you get in there. And also take somebody with you. Take a supportive friend or family member with you. And I understand that you're very into campaigning for this. <laughs> and why not? Um, yeah, so on the 18th of October, I started the hashtag Make Menopause Matter campaign in Westminster. I launched it in Westminster with cross-party support. And it was before the very first backbench debate on menopause in Westminster. So that was a real milestone to see that happening. If anybody would like to sign the petition, if you go to menopausesupport.co.uk and I'll be going back into Westminster for a meeting with the health department. Thank you so much.